First Corinthians chapter 12, please. Work your way over to verse 12. For some of you who are visiting with us today, and you're wondering what, what, is, uh, what is the pastor up to here, we're doing a series right now called The Efficient Functioning of the Church. We, we don't have a, an issue so much with the fact that the church functions. It's just efficiency is a good word. And uh, it adds that uh, element where we're very conscious of why we're here and what we're doing and what part do we have as individuals in a whole to see it operate the way God designed it is really what it is. Um, and so our study is 15 sermons long now, and we've made it up to verse 12. So we're right on track for about a year, I think. Uh, but uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 is where we are looking today. We have moved from what I call the theological perspective of what God did in verse 1 through 11. And we're looking at the practical side, starting in verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Lord, help us today. We open up your word every time. We expect, as you are so faithful, that you will feed us. The food we need today is not only good, delightful, nourishing, but it's also exactly what we need. You always put the right thing on the menu. Now, as we submit to your word today, Lord, may it have its full effect. May we come out of here knowing more about what you have for us and enjoying the work that you're doing in our lives and the lives of our church and pray, Lord, that you will be honored and blessed with what we do with your word today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there were two essential understandings we were started with last week. And um, I thought they were elementary. And then I was told later it wasn't that elementary. And I was kind of surprised at that. But now I've had a whole week to work on this with steroids, too. And so... I still think it's elementary, but we'll find out what that is. Um, what, the, what the issue is, is if we don't get these two essential things understood and operating, we will mess up. We'll mess up everything in this sense. We're, we'll be a dysfunctional, not an efficient church. And uh, like I said, these may sound very simplistic, but the deeper you dig into God's Word, the more you realize he's, he's, He puts us down as essential parts. We are all one body in Christ. That's a very important statement to make and understand it that we, as I use that term, are those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They have put their faith in Him. They have been then placed in the body of Christ. They are believers. We don't just use the word Christian carelessly here. Those are those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So I, 
I use the word we because I assume that of a lot of you, and it's not an assumption really because I already know you, and I know where you stand with Christ. But uh, some may be here and they don't know Christ as Savior, and, and the we doesn't apply, just so you know. You need Jesus Christ as your Savior. Um, but we're talking about the church, and we're studying the church here together, so I'm going to use we terms, okay? So, we are all of one body in Christ. That's very, very important information, and nothing to be minimized at all. Uh, we'll talk about that more and more as we go into 1 Corinthians 12, but all last week was, was uh, an attempt to explain that. This time, we're looking at the second one, and we are all individual members of that body. I'm saying this intentionally. We are all individual members of that body. I, I inserted the word individual here on purpose. Now, many of your translations, you start looking through 1 Corinthians 12, you won't find the word individual in there. Um, in some translations, like the New American Standard Version, you will find it. Individual or individually. Uh, it's written twice in this chapter. In Romans 12, it's written once. We'll talk about that in a minute. But if you're studying from like a King James Version, you're saying, I don't see that word, Pastor. Where'd you get that word? You're saying individual and, or individually. I, I don't want to confuse you with this. All right, like I said, I studied this through and I was on steroids at the time. So we'll see if, uh, if what I put down makes any sense at all. But this is important. This is, this is my challenge because this is literally what I encountered. As I was digging into my little Greek translation and things like that, trying to match up English words from our texts, like we use in the New American Standard or the King James Version, um, I was tra- having a lot of trouble this week with the word individually. I was struggling with that, individually. Um, how does that fit? You see it in verse 11, if you back up a little bit there. You see the, the word individually. Uh, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. New American Standard. You see it also later in, in um, another text I'm going to bring up in just a minute, in Romans 5 or 12, verse 5, where it says, So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually, as to each one of us, we're members of one another. Individually. Now again, the King James uses a different word there. It uses the word every. It says, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. And you may say, well, this doesn't sound like any problem. Well, the word individually has been attached over and over in the text as an adjective to the individual, if that makes sense to you. The, the one, the man, the individual, the member, has worn the adjective individually next to their name. In most of the text I've encountered, 1 Corinthians 12:27, also in this passage, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Now, again, this is, this is very interesting to me because I said, well then, 
the King James uses the word, and remembers in particular, remembers from parts. And all that's to say that it's used as an adjective to describe the members. All right? And what it's trying to say is that we're all separate parts. Just like on your body, your foot is not your elbow, right? We'll get real simple. Is that okay? Your foot is not your elbow. Your, your hand is not your toe. They're individual parts. Individual parts. Now, what threw me through a loop was this. When I went to verse number 11, and I started setting up for verse 12, it says, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And I automatically followed the same pattern. It just seemed likely. Why not? It's an adjective, and it's describing people. And then I read that again in the King James and the one that worketh, that one and the same self-spirit, dividing to each man severally as he wills. And in both cases, that word was so close to the, to the noun, the member, that I assumed that's what they were talking about. And then I started to dig a little deeper, because my, my commentaries kept saying, no, it's not an adjective. It's not an adjective. And I said, no, it looks like one. It's used like one in every other place. What do you mean it's not an adjective? So I had to look it up. And I like the word severally because I wanted to see what, what's that. If that's an adverb, that means separate, individual, distinct. That makes sense. They're, they're in a sense of something happening one at a time and apart from the others independently. And that's where I stopped. I said, whoa, wait, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> Is my hand independent of my arm? I hope not. I kind of like it hanging on there. But this is what I started to realize that as, as, as it was throwing me for this loop, and again, I don't know if this is medically induced or what, but uh, as I'm digging through this, I'm thinking that can't possibly be talking about the members. It can't possibly be talking about the members in verse number 11. Because if that is, that's saying that we're all separated parts. That we're all independent parts of each other. And I don't think that's what it meant. So I had to dig further. And, and here's how it works with me, because if you've got an adjective in front of you, or an adverb, or whatever, and, and it's got a gender attached to it, which Greek has this beautiful thing about it, and you start to track it, you realize that word has to match up with the noun it goes to. It's real simple. Some of you Greek students know that. But it has to match the gender. Nothing in the verses matched the gender. And I said, well, where did that word come from? I've got to track it down. So I kept going and going and going back until I could find the actual place that that word attaches. Are you ready? Of course, you have to be now. I've got you in suspense. Go to verse number 11. Go to verse number 11. The one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing independently to each one just as he wills. That's not talking about us. That's talking about who? 
That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you see? When you start backing this up, it's the Holy Spirit, His manifestation. That's the actual noun it attaches to. The manifestation of the Spirit. That is a visible, clearly seen operation of the Spirit within you. That's what we mean when we say, He's got a gift. She's got a gift. And there's a list of gifts, right? Some people are good at, at, at one thing, distinguishing spirits. Another person is good at uh, uh, faith. Another person's good at knowledge. Another person's good at the word of wisdom. All of that is not a display of our talents, is it? It's a display of the Holy Spirit within us. Those are his gifts. Did we not see that before? He distributes them. He gives them. And each one of them of us has one is a believer in Christ, at least one. And he's at work in us. And what's really cool is that is visible. It's meant to be. That's how the body operates. And so he has designed this manifestation of his operations within us to show it's him. It's of him. It's not of us. So what I did was I worked it back into verse 11. The one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing the manifestation independently to each one just as he wills. This isn't about me. It's about him. And you say, okay, what's all this? This is simple, folks. Listen. He is at work in you. Do you know that? By the way, he doesn't quit easily. Matter of fact, he doesn't quit at all. I love this fact. You can fight the Holy Spirit your whole life, but he's going to win in the end. Because he's God, and you're not. Surprised? It's true. He will win, because his job is to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. Has he ever failed? Is he likely to fail in your case? Some of you say, I don't know. No, he won't. It's a promise. It's a good promise. I love the promise. I love that promise. But he's at work in you right now. And he's also showing to all of us that he's at work in you. Does that make you nervous? It's the way it ought to be. We should see the Holy Spirit at work in you. Changing your life. Making you more like Christ every single day. He's operating in you right now. That's what the text is telling us. He's operating in you right now. What he does in you, what he does through you, is different than what he does in me or through me. Now, it has the same aim, but it's different because we have different gifts. And we have different ministries. And we have different effects, right? And so, that's the beauty of our God's capabilities, that he could work in such a variety, all at the same time, for the same goal, to build up the body of Christ and bring glory to Jesus. Amazing. But he can do that. But here's what I want to point out. What verse 11 does not say is that we're independent of each other. When it says individual, later, when it says severally, or some of these other adverbs or adjectives, or however your text puts them in the sentence, it does not say that we are independent members of one another. It says we are individual members of one another. Is there a difference? Yes. 
One points out our variety. The other points out whether or not we need each other. So when I gave you my caption today, I said this is important that we are all individual members of the body. I did not say we are all independent members of the body. I want to show you why that's very important for us today. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, I bring this up a lot. You might just have to put a permanent bookmark in there. But I want to show you one passage there, just verse 16. Consider this very seriously. It says, from whom the whole body, that's speaking of the work of Christ here, of course, from whom the whole body being fitted, now that means intelligently organized and closely jointed together. Right? It wasn't haphazard, it wasn't careless, it wasn't sloppy. But intelligently, our God is very intelligent, is He not? Oh, you know there's bigger words than that. But He is. And the way He designed it all, everything is organized intelligently, closely put together, that's fitted, and held. That means they are forced together and driven to it. This is not just, you know, the everyday super glue stuff. This is stronger. He has put us together, held us together, held us so tightly together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. Are you important? Yes, you are. Because you're part of this. You're part of this. And when you and I are fit like we ought to be, when our body is put together right like it ought to be, it's designed to be, it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. There are no substitutes, folks. We we don't have some other way of doing this. Although our world is full of books of offering a lot of other ways. This is the way God designed it. The body being put together the right way, the parts cannot be divided. They cannot be independent of each other and come with the same results. Even more than that. You ready? The body cannot grow if the parts are divided and independent of the head, Jesus Christ. It will never work that way. I could take a simple illustration of the vine and the branches, which we talk about, people use for different kinds of translations and whatever, but the vine and the branches, there's a simple application to it, and you know what it is. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Let that soak in for a minute. How much is nothing? He doesn't say you can do 10% or 20% maybe for somebody who's really ambitious. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Take the head off the body and what do you have left? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
A branch separated from the vine will not grow, and it will not bear fruit. Simple illustration, folks. If we act independent of our Savior, this church will never, never, never grow or bear fruit. Get it? It can't. It won't. I want to I tell you a story of, uh, that I encountered this week. And at first you're going to say it's not even related, but I think it is related. Or at least still, my medication makes me think so. Uh, a, few, a few days ago, I was, I'm always interested in Bible versions. They come up, I, I explore them because somebody's going to ask me, what do you think of this version or that version? And, and I want to know. And so I'm scanning through Facebook and there's a Bible version popped up on the, on the page. And I had never seen it before. And I thought, hmm, what is this? Uh, it's fascinating to study this stuff, so I wanted to know, is it good, is it bad, what do I do, how do I suggest? It was called the Israel Bible. Got my attention. I said, well, what's this? Uh, it was a Bible produced by a group called Israel 365. Their goal, I'll read it to you, just what it said on their website, to build bridges between Jews and Christians on behalf of Israel advocating for the Jewish state and educating Christians about the biblical significance of Israel. Sound okay? Is that, uh, okay. All right. They're, they're aiming at us, Christians, right? And they want us to understand the biblical significance of Israel, so they produce this Israel Bible. So I looked into this Israel Bible a little bit and asked a few questions myself as to what's this all about. This is the next statement I found. <laughs> the Israel Bible is the only Bible that exclusively, that is exclusively dedicated to the land of Israel, the people of Israel, and the God of Israel. And I picked up mine and I said, huh. It's the only one, they said. The only one exclusively dedicated to the land of Israel, the people of Israel, and the God of Israel, I hit the chat button. I said, first question, does this Bible have a New Testament? The answer, we only use the Hebrew Bible that is exclusively dedicated to the land of Israel, the people of Israel, the God of Israel. The answer, no, no New Testament. I said, so... Again, I was on medication. What did that do? <laughs> Does the New Testament not speak of Israel? God's people? They answered. The Hebrew Bible alone speaks of the land of Israel, the people of Israel, and the God of Israel. I said, okay, let me think this through. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record the narrative of the life of a Jew named Jesus Christ. He lived in the land of Israel, and he talked about the God of Israel. Did he not? I thought so. Matthew's a Jew. Mark is a Jew. Luke, well, we don't know. But John is a Jew. The book of Acts, the first 15 chapters, do you know where it takes place, most of it? Jerusalem, of all things, 
right there in Israel. I mean, that's, that's the center of it all. Half of that book is centered around Jer- Jerusalem, which is also the land of Israel. The church began with who? Jews, the people of Israel. And who were their God? The God of Israel. So I said, well, okay, I'll go to the book of Romans. Chapter 9 through 11, guess what it's solely dedicated to? Israel. And what God is doing with Israel and his plans with Israel and, and the hope of Israel. and That's God and his people. Galatians makes several references to Israel. Deals with the churches that want to revert back to the Old Testament law. Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3 talk about Israel and the Gentiles are one body in Christ. That's the church. I've seen all that. Hebrews. What else do you have to say? (laughs) Hebrews. Nearly entirely the church teaching on the Jews and where they fit into the body of Christ. Who are they? Jews. God's people. God of Israel. Was Paul a Jew? Okay, I thought so. How about James, John, Peter, Jude? I just covered just about every author in the book. First Peter, some say, was written exclusively to the Jews. No, I really don't think so. I think it was written to the church, which was highly Jewish. But uh, there's many, many references to the Jews there. Then take the book of Revelation. Really, chapter 4 through 19 deals primarily, I know it's always tribulation stuff, but the point of the tribulation is to bring back the Jews to their God. And it is in their land. I don't know if you've noticed that too. But the people of Israel, the land of Israel, the God of Israel. And I'm thinking, so, why did they eliminate all this? Why did they say they only keep to the Old Testament? When the New Testament contributes to a fuller understanding of God's dealing with his people. He didn't quit with them in Malachi. That was not the end of the story. He has much more to say to them. But their problem is, the New Testament talks about Jesus Christ. That's their problem. They refuse to acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And the easiest way to do that is to cut him off. So they take that half of the book and they cut it off. Matter of fact, this is what I even found too. Not only, you might know this, but they, they won't name the name of God. They won't say his name, Jehovah. But they go even further than that in this fact. God told them, when Moses asked him, what's your name? We don't know your name. How do I tell him? He says, I am. Remember? That's the word Jehovah. That works into the word Jehovah. Or some people say Yahweh. And the Hebrew Bible is full of that. It's all over the place. Usually, if you have a New American Standard Version, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Have you ever seen that in your Old Testament and wondered, why did they capitalize the whole name? It's because that is the Hebrew name, Jehovah, being written out in an English way. Big capital letters, Lord. Right? You say, ooh, that's pretty cool. Look at it later. Okay. But uh, this, this, this fact is that we translate it Lord, 
But they didn't even want to say Jehovah in their scriptures or Adonai or anything. So they used the word Hashem all the way through their Old Testament. And you say, what's that? It means the name. The name said. The name said. The name did this. The name did that. You say, okay, what's that? They took the personal traits of their God away from him and gave him as a concept. The name. Not even his name. The name. How would you like to be called the name for the rest of your life? They turned it into a concept. They cut off their Messiah. Their Bible. Honestly, this is my opinion. They have neither a God nor a Savior in their Old Testament scriptures, what they did to it. They cut off both ends, and they are greatly proud of their independence. Is any of this the exclusive record of the people of Israel in the land of Israel with the God of Israel? They cut off the head. They cut off the Messiah. I say that's very sad. But I want to tell you why I told you that story today. So many times when we look at the church as independent members in the body, we have cut off the head. And we have ignored the work of the Holy Spirit among us. To say that we are individual members does not say that we're independent members. And I want to make this point very carefully because we cannot be independent of each other because we cannot be independent of Christ. We cannot do it that way. The day that we become independent is the day that we will wither and die like a severed piece no longer attached to that which gives it life and growth. We're in danger when that happens. And you may say, well, uh, what does that look like, Pastor? What, what does that look like? I've got the perfect illustration. It's in Revelation 3. You want to take a wild guess? In verse 14... It starts to talk about a church, and you know its name, don't you? It's called Laodicea. Can I read this to you? You can follow along. Chapter 3, Revelation three 14. I'm going to read about seven verses. <clears throat> 14 through 22. I haven't even got to the application yet. Pray, brace yourself, this is heavy. Verse 14, to the church of the, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this. The Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. Now, set that aside for a second, because we're always saying cold, hot, what's right? Cold, yes, no, hot, yes, no. Um, he knows the deeds. <laughs> Sometimes they fly past that. He knows. He knows. We can't mask anything in his presence. Do you know that? We could do a pretty good job on Sunday morning here, maybe. But he knows. He knows. I know your deeds. And he identifies this church. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I would spit you out of my mouth. Some suppose, when they read that, that means Jesus is through with them. The church is hated by him. He no longer belongs to them. They no longer belong to him, and he's gone his way. 
That's not what the text says. Because, he says in verse 17, you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I advise you. Now, if he didn't care for them, he wouldn't give them advice, would he? He, If he was done with them, why is he still with them? I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may become rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and I salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. He is reproving and disciplining, so what is he saying about this church? He loves them. Too many times that's ignored in the passage. He didn't write them off. He's trying to help them. He loves them. Therefore, be zealous and repent. He wouldn't call them to change if they were no longer his. But look at where they left him. Next verse. You've seen it before. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. We commonly use that passage evangelistically. It's effective. It really is. It it works on a heart to think Jesus is there knocking on the door trying to get in. But Jesus isn't talking to unbelievers here, is he? You ready for this? He's talking to the church. Why is Jesus outside the church? Why is the door locked? Why is he knocking? Why do they think they could function without him? Why do they think that they don't need Jesus? The reality is their works are useless, and he spits them out of his mouth. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on the throne, as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Let him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The problem with the Laodiceans is they were practically severed from the head. They were independent and very proud of it, weren't they? We don't need this. We don't need that. We're pretty good. And Jesus says, if only you could see what you really are, severed from me. When we start talking about one body in Christ, we're talking about the church as a whole. We are not independent members of the church. We are the members of a body. We are dependent on each other. Dependent on each other. And dependent upon Jesus Christ if we're going to function. And especially efficiently. We cannot be independent members. The book of Hebrews says this. And yes, that was written to the Jews too. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. You've heard it before. Let us consider how to stimulate one another onto love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, which is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Do you think Jesus is coming soon? 
I hope so. It says, if you believe that, we've got a bigger test still. More and more we should be together. More and more we should be drawing together, assembling together, encouraging one another. Because that day is coming. We need to stimulate each other onto love and good deeds. You cannot do that independently. Here's an illustration, and I might have said it here before, but I read it years ago, and it made a mark on my mind. And every time I think through this, this illustration comes to my mind. There was a, a pastor who went to visit a man. This man had quit coming to the church many years before. And, and he told the pastor, you know, I, I decided I really didn't need the church to worship. I could go outside. I could, I, I could worship God in my own way. I could, I could worship God in my own time, independently of the church. I can do all that. Well, the pastor is sitting there with him. And without saying a word, they're sitting there before a fireplace. And the, the pastor reaches up and grabs the, the tongs there and reaches into the fire and grabs one of the coals. Bright, bright orange coal. And he picks it up and he pulls it out of the fire, places it on the bricks there right in front of the fireplace. It just sits back and they both look at it. No words exchanged. But that orange turned dull and got darker and darker until it was black and cold. After a while, the pastor picked it back up, put it back onto the fire, and it started to glow. No words were necessary. The man says, All right, pastor, I'll be in church next week. It's real simple. It's really simple. We're not made to exist separately. We're not. I need you. You need me. We need each other. If we are to function effectively, efficiently, for the glory of Christ, we need to understand it. We're not independent members of His body. We might be individual, but we're not independent. This body of Christ is huge. It's beautiful. It's designed perfectly. And here we have a local representation of the body, just like the whole. Operating like the whole, gifted like the whole, unique in this particular setting. God designed it that way. And we are a part of it because he put us here. We're part of it. We're not here for competition. We're here for cooperation. We're not here for separation. We're here for a cohesiveness, a sticking together, if you will, very tightly. Because that's the way he designed the body. We are one in, we are all one in that body. And we are individual members of that body. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. But I never said independent, did I? We are individual not independent. And that's a difference. If we're going to understand what Christ has done and how it's going to operate, there's no other way for a church to function than the way he designed it. That's what we need to submit ourselves to. And I give you that today to chew on that. Think about that and think about your own place in the body of Christ. And if you've been one who has said, you know, I don't know if I'm really all that important around here. If that's crossed your heart or your mind, if you've acted on it, and you said, well, you know, they really don't need me for this or that, I want you to talk to the Lord about that. 
if you've maybe looked at other people and said, you know, they're really not very needed around here. You know, we're better off if they're not a part of this. I want you to talk to the Lord about that. Because those are the two things that pop up in the rest of the chapter. You belong here. Because God said so. Is that important to us? I think so. Heavenly Father, help us with this. We've got a long ways to learn, long ways to go. That we might be conformed to the way you designed us to be. But it's very important for us to understand what you're doing in our midst. We pray, Lord, that you might help us with our understanding, help us with the application, and help us, Lord, to bring glory to your name. We desperately want a church fellowship that reflects Jesus Christ. May we all have that goal. Work in our hearts, Lord. If we're missing any of these points, if we've been one way or the other, and we haven't been walking down this, this designed road. Show us that, Lord. We want to be what you've designed us to be, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.